Hello and welcome to episode number 52 of The Draft Addicts, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm Chris Tripodi of DraftAnalyst.com, and with me, as usual, is Tony Pauline. And Tony, pro days are officially over now, and the draft is just two weeks away. You ready? I don't know that I'm ever ready. I mean, it's always really nonstop work up through the draft, always making phone calls, trying to get information, still watching game film. I mean, I'm basically done, but I got a couple of late juniors, junior entries who I got to do, and then there's always some small school guys that are cropping up. Over at the site, right before we taped this podcast, I uploaded an additional 282 scouting reports. So I think that brings the total right now to about 450 or so. We probably have another 200 over the next week or two. We're getting close. We'll see what happens. A lot of news will be broken, and we'll have a lot more reports and a big grading update by Friday of this week. And as, as people who follow our site know, we usually have upwards of a thousand scouting reports a year. So if you want information on guys who not, aren't even PFAs, you know, priority free agents, but you know, the deepest of all the undrafted free agents, camp invites, things like that, a lot of times we're the only place where you can get it. So definitely make sure to head on over to draftanalyst.com and, and check out those scouting reports for some of the deep guys, especially when we get to the point after the draft where our teams are scooping up free agents. Well, we have a lot. Uh, we, it, it's usually we have over 1,000 guys graded and about 700-plus scouting reports. 1,000 scouting reports, uh, I wish, but that would be just too much work. But still, your basic premise is right. I mean, you've got 255 guys that are selected in the draft, and then you may have another three to 400 who are signed after the draft. And sometimes those guys are just as important as the players that were selected in the middle rounds. Tough to get information on them. We usually have a scouting report on a lot of those players. So the reports are just as important. They're just as relevant in the months of June, July, and August when camp is going on and minicamp is going on as they are on draft weekend or the day after draft. Absolutely. And we're going to start this week's show, Tony, with another plug of the website here, an article you wrote on Tuesday. To nobody's surprise, it's about our hometown New York Jets. It's been no secret throughout the process that general manager Mike McCagnan is open for business at number three. He even said it himself publicly. Most have assumed that the Jets would still target an edge rusher if they traded back from that third overall pick. But you've learned that the Jets would actually target offensive linemen if they ended up finding a trade partner, namely Washington State's Andre Dillard and Alabama's Jonah Williams. Now, you followed up that article with a tweet that the Jets hosted Williams on an official visit Tuesday. Do you have anything else to add to these reports? I absolutely do. I mean, in the article, I posted my opinion, which is that I don't feel Jonah Williams can handle the left tackle duties at the next level, but is better off at center or guard. And both of those areas are need for the Jets. Now, that's an opinion shared by money, but not by all. I can tell you this. If the Jets make a move down and then select Jonah Williams, it's for the express purpose of slotting him at left tackle as they feel he can hold down the position. And a lot of other teams do as well, feel that Jonah Williams can play left tackle. So the bottom line is, if the Jets trade down and then select Jonah Williams, it's basically to acquire their left tackle of the future. Now, considering that, as you said, you're a bit lower on Williams than many in the industry, do you think he's still a good fit for the Jets? The answer is yes, for a variety of reasons. You know, first, regardless of whether you slot him at left tackle or guard or center, Williams fills a need for the Jets on the offensive line, as we've talked about. 
I also think he's a good fit for general manager Mike McCagnan from an intellectual and detailed point of view. You know, we've talked about Williams on this podcast several times, mentioning how after Nick Boza, he's the safest pick and the cleanest pick of the top dozen prospects. In other words, Williams has the least amount of downside risk. He's a detailed-oriented blocker. I've mentioned before, he keeps copious notes on all of his opponents. And while I don't think there's a huge upside to his game, there's always been a lot to like about Jonah Williams. Absolutely. And, and that versatility is certainly key, especially these days when you're building offensive lines and you're finding trouble to really put five starters on the field. If you find value or you find a free agent that can fill in at one position, having a player like Williams who you can slot in at a couple spots really helps in terms of making sure that your offensive line is solidified. Yeah, and there's talk about other teams, we'll get into this later on, who already have a left tackle or an aging left tackle, maybe start Jonah Williams at the right side and then slot him over to left tackle. You know, it's been done time and time again where a rookie uh, offensive lineman taken early in the draft will start at guard and then move to left tackle. And you're right. I mean, the versatility is key, especially in this day and age in the NFL. Now, the Jets trading down is something that we've talked about on this podcast. We mentioned it explicitly during the Combine. You've mentioned that Rich Semini wrote about it at ESPN. There have obviously been plenty of other mentions of this among the press, so we're certainly not alone in discussing this topic. But we say all the time that when there's smoke, there's fire, and there really is a ton of smoke here. What's the sense that you're getting on New York trading the third pick? You know, I'm getting the sense that the Jets are almost desperate to trade down because there are so many holes on their roster. We mentioned the need for starters on the offensive line. Obviously, pass rusher is another big need. They need a starting cornerback as well. They need depth at receiver. They need depth at running back. And as the article mentioned earlier this week, they don't have a second-round choice, although second-round choices have rarely worked out for the New York just the past quarter century. They do have a pair of picks in round three, but jobs within the team's front office are on the line this year. So they have to fill those holes after not being able to do so in free agency and come out of the draft with multiple starters. Now, how do you handicap their chances of finding an actual taker to trade back, whether their willingness or not is there? A lot depends on what happens with the San Francisco 49ers. If the Niners can trade down from number two, and I think they're going to attempt to, and Nick Boza falls into the Jets' laps, I think they take him right away. Now, let's go back to 2015 for a minute when the Jets had the sixth pick. I did a draft piece in the Jets' facility at Florham Park for their website, and this was a time when I was welcome there. And we went through different scenarios at the top of the draft. I mentioned there was a realistic possibility that the best player in the draft that year, Leonard Williams could fall into the Jets' laps because I was given information that the Redskins could take Brandon Scharf, which is eventually what took place. I was asked what the Jets would do if Leonard Williams fell to them, and I said, one, they would explore trade options, or two, they would select Williams. And they actually did both because uh, Mike McCagnan stated afterwards the Jets were given offers for that sixth, sixth pick when Leonard Williams dropped. But the values of the offers was not enticing enough to take the trade and pass up a player like uh, Leonard Williams, which I thought was an outstanding move by McCagnan. I don't get that feeling this time around. I don't think the Jets will take just any offer to trade down. I do get a sense from talking with people that they would take less than most others would take to move down from the third slot and collect extra selections. Are you hearing anything else about the team and their plans moving forward? 
you know, obviously heading into the draft, pass rusher is a huge priority. It doesn't take a genius to figure that out. But I continually hear that pass rusher and offensive linemen are priorities, which leads me to believe it's very unlikely the Jets would take Quinn and Williams with the third pick if they can't move it. So even though I'm told they're not totally sold on Josh Allen being a sure thing, and Quinton Williams is the higher-rated player, I believe right now it's Josh Allen over Quinton Williams for the Jets. Of course, this assumes that Nick Bosa doesn't fall to them, and like I said, they can't trade out of this third selection. Now let's move back to Jonah Williams for a second. Obviously, the Jets aren't the only team that does like him at tackle, meaning that there are surely other teams who would consider him in the top half of round one. Do you know of any of those other teams that are showing a lot of interest in Williams? Yeah, right now I'm told the Buffalo Bills really like Jonah Williams. They're considering him with the ninth selection, and they are another team that would draft Jonah Williams to have him play left tackle. Now, we didn't get into Dillard much earlier, even though he is a legitimate option for the Jets. Last week on our show, you did mention Dillard as a possible fit for another New York team, or the only New York team, as some would tell you, the Buffalo Bills. Who do you think Buffalo grades higher right now, Williams or Dillard? From where we sit today, two weeks before the draft, I think it's a three-horse race for Buffalo right now. It's either Andre Dillard of Washington State, Jonah Williams of Alabama, or Ed Oliver of Houston. Now, are there any other teams that are doing a lot of homework on the offensive tackle class this year? The Green Bay Packers have been doing a ton of work on the offensive tackles, from what I've been told. You know, they set themselves up nicely with their free agent signings on defense. And from my perspective, if he falls, Jonah Williams would be a great fit and a great selection for the uh, Packers in round one. Now, what about tight ends, specifically when we're talking about the Bills? Before the Combine, we reported here that Buffalo would go hard after Jesse James in free agency. Obviously, James ended up signing with the Detroit Lions. But we followed that up afterwards that James received an offer from the Bills that many thought was better, with Buffalo trying to replace Charles Clay, who they had previously cut. Now, is there any word on if they like any of the tight ends in this year's draft, whether it's worth their first round pick on one of the top three guys or later on taking advantage of the depth of the position? Yeah, it's more the latter as of right now. I'm hearing they have a huge interest in Drew Sample of Washington, a guy that we've spoken about a lot in glowing terms. And ironically, Sample's game is similar to Jesse James. I don't know that they would take Sample in the third round, but they do have a pair of picks in the fourth frame, and I could absolutely see them using one of those selections to take Drew Sample. Now, multiple reports have stated that the Detroit Lions will consider trading down from the eighth pick if they get the right offer. Assuming they do trade down just in this scenario, what positions are you hearing that they may target? If they trade down, I'm told the priority positions become tight end, then offensive line. They signed tight end Jesse James to a significant contract in free agency, but they'd like to add a playmaker at the position, which is going to be possible in the bottom half of round one in this year's draft. Absolutely. And speaking of trades, we do have more on the Josh Rosen saga in Arizona. But first, please support the draft analysts by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the other big podcast platforms. You can also find us at Believe.com. Leave us a rating and a review. And if you have any questions you want answered on the show, tweet us at Chris Tripodi, at Tony Pauline, at Draft Analyst One, and at Believe Podcast to get in touch with us there. Now, Tony, back to Rosen here. What's the latest you're hearing on last year's number 10 overall pick in the desert? You know, on Wednesday, the source that told me at the combine that the Washington Redskins would be big players in a trade for Rosen if he became available doubled down and said he believes the skins will be all in for Rosen once or if he becomes available and Washington will do anything they can to make the trade happen. 
Now, that's interesting because it does go against some reports that came out Wednesday that the Redskins were not actively pursuing Rosen at this time and were more focused on evaluating the quarterbacks in the draft. Obviously, that could be sort of a backup plan or a scenario where a player like a Dwayne Haskins may fall to them in the middle of the first round, as there has been a lot of chatter about lately. But there's also lying season in the NFL, and it's here right now. So you can only put so much stock in things like that. Even if Washington were to pass on a deal, there's plenty of interest in Rosen around the league. We've heard that the San Diego Chargers have an interest, as do the New York Giants. Both of those teams have quarterbacks from the 2004 draft class that are getting up there in age. Obviously, Eli Manning is regressing a little bit worse than Phillip Rivers. But have you heard anything about Josh Rosen to Big Blue? And what would your feelings be about his fit in the Big Apple? You know, first, my feelings are Josh Rosen is just not a good personality fit for the Giants. When you look at their recent quarterbacks, Phil Simms, Jeff Hossettler, Kerry Collins, Eli Manning, all tough guys on the field who were rather reserved off the field. I don't think Rosen fits that profile for the Giants, and that's an opinion that some close to Rosen share who have I, I've spoken with. I'm hearing the Giants are interested in Rosen and people are drawing a connection on the relationship between Matt Harris, who's presently the director of football administration for the Arizona Cardinals and Giants GM Dave Gettleman. They worked together for the Giants from 2006 to 2012, and I'm told they're on good terms. Now, relationships, especially good ones, are always important in football, especially when you're dealing with trades. I'm told the trade that sent Olivier Vernon from the Giants to the Cleveland Browns in return for Kevin Zeitler, was based largely on the relationship that Gettleman had with John Dorsey. So while I don't think it's a good fit, there are a lot of people out there who believe Rosen to the Giants could happen. And just let me ask, you know, reports as far as the Washington Redskins not being interested in Rosen because they are scouting all the other quarterbacks, Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins, etc. I mean, the two are not mutually exclusive from each other. You would expect the Washington Redskins to do that, but I don't think just because they're doing their homework on this year's uh, quarterback class means that they've decided not to pursue a trade with Josh Rosen. Absolutely. And and certainly due diligence is something that all these teams need to be doing, because if the Redskins are interested in Rosen, they likely know that they can get him after the first round. So they need to determine whether they feel any of these other quarterbacks. You know, you mentioned Haskins, Locke. Obviously, Kyler Murray is not going to be there, but you also have Daniel Jones. These guys are very likely to go in that middle to late portion of the first round. And the Redskins need to know whether it's worth it to invest the draft capital in a player like that to get the extra year of the cheap contractual control or whether they want to give up maybe a second round pick or whatever the going rate may end up being for a guy like Josh Rosen, who is still under cheap contract. The Cardinals have paid a lot of the money owed to him, but he's one year closer to free agency. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the scouting department's going to do their homework regardless, and then the front office will make the decision from there. Absolutely. And if Rosen is in fact traded, which the majority of people inside the NFL seem to believe will happen, it's going to happen obviously in conjunction with Kyler Murray going first overall to Arizona. Tony, would a trade happen before, during, or after the draft? You know, I'll put big money on it that it wouldn't happen until the first round begins, you know, for a couple of reasons. The league wants to keep the anticipation or even the anxiety, if you will, going for as long as possible as to what Arizona is going to do at the top of the draft. They've got so much invested in the draft, they don't want the event to start with people knowing that Josh Rosen has been traded and the Cardinals are taking Kyler Murray. People may think that, but they don't want it out there that this is what's going to happen. They want the hype of the early decision to last as long as possible. Just think a few years ago when you had the Rams up top and you had the Eagles uh, right behind them after those trades. I mean, basically everyone knew 
that the Rams preferred Jared Goff and the Eagles were going to end up with Carson Wentz. But the league would not allow the Rams to make that selection before the uh, event started. And even then, they let the clock run a little bit to build up the anticipation. If the Cardinals don't have a deal done with the team for Rosen by draft day, I'm sure the parameters of a deal will be in place. And then it will be interesting to see if they are able to keep it under wraps or it leaks out. Yeah, so it's a situation where you think that even if there is a trade that's agreed to beforehand, the league is going to say, hey, you guys need to really keep this quiet and wait until at least that first overall pick is made to announce the trade, or even later, because while the NFL doesn't want that number one overall pick upstaged, they really don't want that first round as a whole to be upstaged. They want to keep the anticipation of the early part of the draft going for as long as possible. Now, look at what happened last year. I mean, with Baker Mayfield, even on draft day, they were able to keep it under wraps. The Browns were leaning towards Baker Mayfield. It was by no means a done deal. But really, you know, going into the first day of the draft last year, before that first round that began, no one really knew if it was going to be Baker Mayfield or Sam Darnold. So they did a good job of it last year. I'm sure they're going to want to do the same this year. And yeah, that's one of the first times that's happened in recent years. Usually, as you said, even with the Goff and Wentz year, everyone kind of knew what was going to happen. But last year, there was that drama. There was that intrigue. And I'm sure that's something the league would love to repeat this year. Oh, absolutely. As you can see, it's a more and more commercial venture. Once again, it's going to be on major network television besides ESPN and besides the NFL network. They're going to saturate the market with it. And the worst thing that could happen is people know what's going to happen before it actually happens. Now we'll move from one bird to another here with some news on the Atlanta Falcons. Now the team has needs at defensive tackle, cornerback, and guard. Those are probably their three biggest needs. What are you hearing as to potential draft targets, whether at those positions or other positions, for general manager Thomas Dimitrov? Yeah, I would add defensive end to that as well. I'm told that they really want to take a cornerback with the 14th pick, but they realize the better value will be at defensive tackle. And that is the way I expect them to go if they can't trade down. You know, they really wanted Deron Payne last year. And when he was off the board, everyone expected them to take Tavon Bryan. But they went with Calvin Ridley because he was the better value and the higher rated prospect. Now, would they consider LSU's Greedy Williams at that number 14 slot? I'm told that they would take a look at it that they've taken a lot of players from LSU in recent drafts, and they've had a, a lot of success with it, with them, I should say. You know, personally, I think Greedy Williams is worth the 14th selection of the draft, though others are down on him. Now, if they do end up going with a defensive tackle, which ones do you suspect they're high on? Well, first, got to lump the usual suspects in there, like Ed Oliver of Houston, if he's available, as well as Christian Wilkins of Clemson. I have a sneaking suspicion that Dexter Lawrence will also enter into the equation. I haven't heard of any direct links between Lawrence and the Falcons, but two things. As I reported on my spot during the Journey to the Draft podcast earlier this week, Lawrence is one of the fastest rising defensive linemen of draft boards, if not the fastest. Teams love his size. They love his athleticism. They love his upside potential. And Lawrence will bring a lot of what they were looking for had they gotten Deron Payne last year, except Lawrence is more athletic. Now, we talked about a similar situation last week on the show with Sione Takitaki and teams feeling comfortable with things in the past. Now, obviously, Dexter Lawrence had that suspension for performance-enhancing drugs that kept him out of this year's postseason. For him to go in the first round, especially in a league that is a heavily passing league where they want pass rushers, especially from the interior, Dexter Lawrence, more of that run-stopping defensive tackle that we've seen as a traditional player— 
Our team's really comfortable with what they've heard from Lawrence about what happened with the PED suspension and where they're going to go from there. I've been told that teams are comfortable with it. It was a dopey mistake. He was able to come across during interviews that it was a bad mistake. It wasn't something that was a continuous problem for him. I mean, myself, I'm wondering why this guy was doing peds rather than working on his game. But again, they look at a guy that's as big as Dexter Lawrence. They look at how athletic he is. When he's dominant on film, they see how dominant he is. So I don't think the peds thing bothers them because really the guy doesn't need peds. He just needs to work a little bit harder in the weight room and on his football skills. And do you think if they do go with Lawrence or another defensive tackle in the first round, would that push cornerback to round two for Atlanta? Possibly. They like Sean Bunting of Central Michigan a lot. They had a formal interview with him at the Combine. They worked him out individually, and they also brought Bunting in for an official 30 visit. They also like Justin Lane of Michigan State a lot. They tried to bring Lane in for an official 30 visit, but Lane's schedule was booked, and they could not get him on the schedule before the deadline. Now, it's a matter of how those two players, Sean Bunting and Justin Lane, stack up on their board compared to Titus Howard, the offensive lineman from Alabama State. They have a need on the offensive line. I'm told the Falcons have a high grade on Howard. They like his versatility. They like his upside as well. So it's a matter of Titus Howard versus the highest-rated cornerback and how they match up on the board. Now, we're going to get into a few rumblings on some individual prospects right now. We'll start with Oklahoma running back Rodney Anderson. It's been a really quiet pre-draft process for Anderson after his season-ending injury against UCLA in September. He rushed for 1,161 yards and 13 touchdowns when he was healthy in 2017. And he actually averaged over 16 yards per catch that year as well. Only 17 receptions, but he scored on five of them. So he was really productive as an overall player. But outside of that season... He's played just four career games. He had a neck injury sideline him for the entire 2016 season. He played just two games in 2015 after breaking his ankle playing special teams. Let's break the silence on Anderson here, Tony. Are you hearing anything about him? There are a lot of people who believe that Anderson would have been the second rated back or the second back off draft boards were it not for his injury in the early part of 2018 and had he been able to play the entire season. And could you imagine Anderson taking handoffs with Kyler Murray uh, passing the ball at Oklahoma? It's unlikely he does any type of workout before the draft. So it's a matter of how teams evaluate his medical report and how much concern they have over his durability. I mean, those were significant injuries he sustained, not little dings and nicks. I could see a team taking him in the third round, but I think right now early fourth round is a better fit for Anderson. If he starts to fall, you know that teams have really red flagged his medical reports. Now let's look at another skill player, and it's someone a lot of people like, including us. And that's Fresno State wide receiver Keyshawn Johnson. What are you hearing on him? San Francisco 49ers receivers coach Miles Austin worked out Johnson on the Fresno State campus earlier this week. I'm told they were impressed with Johnson's pass-catching skills and his character. I think he'd be a great fit for that offense and a solid day three selection for the Niners. Now, Keyshawn is far from the only Johnson at receiver in this year's draft, which isn't surprising with a common name like that. Even Buffalo's Anthony Johnson, as well as some guys we're going to discuss here from Toledo. And the Rockets have a pair of Johnsons in Deontay Johnson and John Thea Johnson. They also have Cody Thompson to round out a trio of draftable third-day wideouts from the team. Now, John Vea might have worked his way into the draft after his impressive pro day, was viewed kind of as a priority free agent type of guy before that, but might have bumped himself into that third day. The other two were kind of solidified in that range. And usually when you have a cluster of players like that 
at the same position like Toledo does, teams will kind of pass through campus and work them all out together and kill three birds with one stone. Do you know of any teams that have been through Toledo to work that trio out? Absolutely. The New Orleans Saints, the Tennessee Titans, the Detroit Lions, and the Houston Texans have all been in there to work out all three uh, Toledo receivers. And let me say this. you know, While we have Deontay Johnson graded as a six-round pick, there's a chance of the three he could go much earlier than expected because people love the way he plays from the slot. Slot receivers are becoming more and more important in the NFL, plus he brings that return game to him. So if there's one of the three who could surprise and be selected much earlier than uh, the rest of them, it'd be Deontay Johnson. And that's all for the 52nd episode of The Draft Analysts, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. Now, most of draft season is behind us now, and as we said earlier, it's lying season around the league, but that doesn't mean we don't have loads of information for you over at draftanalyst.com. In addition to the articles like the one we discussed at the start of the show, and also the hundreds of scouting reports that we discussed and player profiles, most of the Power 5 players have been taken care of. We've got some reports left from the smaller conferences, FCS subdivision, Division 2, and really anywhere else that potential future NFL players may be lurking. So don't hesitate to visit the site for everything draft-related as we get closer and closer to the day. And for Tony Pauline, this is Chris Tripodi. We'll catch you next time.